Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today we focus on one of the core values of the church. First Pres Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung shows us why we are so self-involved and the benefits of practicing humility. I'm Jenny Sung, I'm the Executive Coordinator at First Pres and Campus Pastor to the Vine. We continue our series on the core values of our church. And it's a reminder that if we apply these values into our lives, we will have straighter paths to Jesus. As you may recall, First Pres has five core values. And the first letter of each forms the acronym PAS, P-A-T-H-S. Now P stands for presence. We want to experience the presence of God. A is for authenticity. T stands for thoughtfulness. H is for humility. And the last letter S stands for service. We want to have a heart that serves, serves God and others. So PADS, these are the values we hope to strive towards and instill in our lives. And today we're going to look at one core value, the value of humility, the H in PADS. Now, why is humility such an important trait? And why would it be a core value of our church? Will you pray with me as we dive into our message on humility? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love. We give you this day. We lift up our time to you. Come fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us and lead us. Open up our minds and our hearts to receive your truth, to receive you. May you increase as we decrease. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dan preached on humility. He described humility not as something that's weak, but taking the strong and courageous stand that you know from where your true strength and wisdom comes from. It's from God. And even better, you can live in the reality knowing that you have limits to your wisdom and strength and spiritual maturity. Now, when you really think about that, it sounds pretty freeing to me. I mean, to just admit that I'm not perfect, that I have limits and I don't have to carry it all and control everything, and that I always have someone to rely on. Someone is always there to go to for true strength and wisdom for all of my life. That sounds amazing. Sign me up. You know, this humble perspective is actually a gift, knowing that we can always have someone to rely on that God will always be there to give us strength and wisdom and that we can throw every anxiety, every burden, every need onto God. You know, Pastor Tim often says this, we can lean the entire weight of our lives on God, everything we are on God, the good and the bad. God can handle it. You know, it doesn't offend God. And God's kingdom, it's not scarce on resources. It's a relief to know that God is God and I am not God. This is a huge part of humility. Humility takes into account who we are and whose we are. Humility is an awareness of ourselves that doesn't overinflate or underinflate our identity. There's a letter in the Bible written by a follower of Jesus. His name is Peter. And Peter wrote a letter of encouragement to a scattered group of people in Asia Minor. And he wrote, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, 
that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, if you look at other translations, it says instead of cast, like throw all your anxiety on him. Throw it all on him because he truly cares for you. God is that awesome. God created us, breathed life into our beings, and he knows us better than anyone. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we function best. And he actually cares for you and your well-being more than any other human. Because God, his motivation is pure agape love. It's altruistic. And God is good and unchanging and constant and all-knowing. True humility is the path of freedom where we can just take this huge leap and know that the one who catches us, the God of the universe, truly does love and care for us. True humility is a surrender and a release that gives way for us to live life as God created, as our authentic selves, hand in hand with Him. And when we have that kind of freedom, you know, we can relax instead of being so concerned with ourselves and our lives and managing ourselves. You know, we can let go our egos. Get it? Lego my ego. Lego my egos. Okay, if you're not familiar with that tagline, it's actually a waffle commercial where the family in the commercial would like fight over a waffle coming out of the toaster. And, you know, one would go, hey, let go my ego. And if you watch Stranger Things, there's this character, Eleven, my favorite character, who loves eating Lego waffles. You can see this picture of her holding the Lego waffles. And many of us love our Lego waffles and many of us love our egos, but almost to a fault. The title of this message today is Lego My Ego. Yes, I came up with that title. And you know, I was quite proud of myself for coming up with that title. And as I basked in my inflated ego, I wanted to see if there was like another book or something that had the same title. So what do you do? Of course, you Google it. And when I Googled it, there is a VeggieTales episode that came up and it's called Lego My Ego. Larry the Cucumber's inflated ego is supercharged by this villainous chemical causing everyone around him to shrink. Larry's ego is so inflated that it needed to be the center of everything. Larry needed it all to be about him and everyone around Larry became small. You should watch it, it's really good. And in fact, VeggieTales is on Right Now Media, so which is free through our church account, so you can watch it. Now the ego and humility, they're so intricately tied together because of the battle to put our egos above everything else. You know, scholar, pastor, and author Tim Keller described the ego in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. In this book, he says, you know, the ego is always drawing attention to itself. It does so every single day. It's always making us think about how we look and how we're treated. But gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that comes with self-forgetfulness. It's like the definition of humility that we heard from British writer C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? 
Now, I remember there was this incident where I was inordinately obsessed with my thoughts uh, about going to this function that I was invited to, and I didn't want to go. And I was in the kitchen talking, you know, to my late husband, and I was like, oh, I went on and on and on and on about how I didn't want to go to this party, but I was worried that, you know, what would people think of me if I didn't go, and how I should go because of the person who invited me, and what would people say about me if I wasn't there and what would the host think of me maybe less and how would others take it if I was absent and where am I in the social circle and on and on and on. My husband, uh, he was a very quiet um, and honest and calm person. He just kind of leaned in and I remember him saying very quietly, Jenny, why are you going round and round in circles about this? It's not all about you all the time. He was trying to let me know the world does not revolve around me. Now, because I knew that my husband loved me and cared for me, I was able to receive that. And he helped kind of talk me through this. But it really stopped me in my tracks. I think God used Carl that day to put a spotlight on this very obsessive I statement that was just going on and on. I was like Tim Keller noted, connecting every single experience and every conversation with myself and trying to manage and control perceptions and trying to control everything and everyone and have the world revolve around me. I wasn't feeling free and definitely I wasn't resting in God. I was in my own little universe and not really doing so well at the moment. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul tells us to, to think about ourselves. He says, because of the privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. This is in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. When we talk about the ego, you know, it's not always this honest evaluation of ourselves. It's a constant competitive need to revolve the world around ourselves. There's a lot of control management in our lives to control those around us, to control how we appear, how we come across. And you know, frankly, it can be exhausting. It's tiring. And most of the time, get this, we think we're quite justified in our thoughts and actions and that we are right and others are wrong. There's a lot of research on this. We spend an enormous amount of energy justifying to ourselves and others why we're right. Right in our decisions, right in our attitudes, right in our offenses. And we tell stories about being offended and what happened. What happened to us and how the other party was at fault and why we were right in being offended. You know, I hear a lot of stories like this. And to be perfectly honest, I tell a lot of them too. I almost named this sermon something else. The title of the sermon was going to be Everyone's an Idiot But Me. Now, hold on. Before you get offended and, and turn off the device and walk away, hold on. This is a quote. It's actually a quote from a book. They're not my words. It's a quote from a book called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. Brent Hansen has a nationally syndicated Christian radio talk show, which airs on more than like 200 stations. He wrote three books. He's really funny and gut-wrenchingly honest about the way we are wired. In his book, Unoffendable, 
Brandt writes, inspiring quote for you to highlight and tweet immediately. Everyone's an idiot but me. I'm awesome. <laughs> he continues to write in the book. Okay, moral of the story. The other guy is always the jerk. Many times in my life, I've vocalized in traffic something like, man, what a jerk. I can't remember ever, not once saying, man, I'm such a jerk. Why? Because I'm a victim. My intentions are always pure. Other people are the perps, not me. I'm never a perp, perpetrator. Now here's another question posed by Brand in his other book, The Truth About Ourselves. Have you ever noticed that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? I have actually thought this. You know, when someone's like whizzing past you really fast, you know, you're like, oh, they're crazy. Michasa, you know, what is wrong with them? But then when I need to get somewhere and I'm like behind the slow car, I'm like, learn how to drive. Oh, come on, move over. I'm a good driver, you bad driver. Do you know that there is actually a term for this? It's a term called self-enhancement effect. One of more than 100 recognized cognitive biases that humans have. 100. You know, we generally cast ourselves in a positive light relative to our peers. And above all, we believe that we are more just, we are more trustworthy, more moral than others. You know, there's this uh, awesome uh, journalist and author of the book, Being Wrong. Her name is Katherine Schultz, and she has this great TED talk about being wrong. She spent years researching this topic, and she writes, a whole lot of us go through life assuming that we're basically right basically all the time about basically everything, about our political and intellectual convictions, our moral beliefs, our assessment of other people, our memories, our grasp of facts. And as, as absurd as it sounds, when we stop to think about it, our steady state seems to be one of unconsciously assuming that we are very close to omniscient. Omniscient means like knowing everything. So we are God of our own little universe. And when the world revolves around us, we find ourselves sifting through our own biased standards and defending that space of rightness. You know, we recently heard that we can end up living life through a single story, our own story, and we rarely practice consideration of other stories. You know, the danger of that is we can get easily offended. In fact, we can build up this lifetime habit of judgment and indignation and offense that just feeds into the self-righteousness and pride. When we look at the definition of humility, it's described as the opposite of pride. It's freedom from pride or arrogance. Humility, it's the opposite of pride, conceit, egotism, haughty, presumptuous, pretentious, superior. All these are synonyms of pride. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has an entire chapter devoted to pride. He refers to pride as the spiritual cancer. You know, it eats up the possibility of love, contentment, and common sense. And famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, he compares pride to a snake. He says, pride has 10,000 shapes. It's not always that stiff and starched gentleman that you picture. It is a vile, creeping, insinuating thing that will twist itself into a serpent into our hearts. 
Wow. And what about the Bible, God's Word? What does the Bible have to say about pride and self-righteousness? There are a lot of verses about the downfalls of pride. There are just a few I want to share with you. You know, Proverbs has a lot. Proverbs says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with wisdom. Wisdom is with the humble. That's Proverbs 11, verse 2. And how about the Bible passage we hear a lot at weddings? 1 Corinthians 14, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. And it was our Jesus who in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus who said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Things like fornication and theft and murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, and here we go, pride and folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Wow, pride is lumped in there with murder and theft and they're all evil things and they defile us. Do we really want to live our lives trapped by the things that defile us? Or can we live free in Jesus, having a humble and open heart? As we study the core values of our church, why do we value humility? Why is humility so important? You know, if the church, the people of God, and that's us, are meant to be that light, that city on a hill to show people who God is all about, if we're that, what do we want to be known for? Do we want to be known as the church full of people who are easily offended, prideful, and self-righteous? Or do we want to be the church known for its humility? The people living free in Jesus with humble and open hearts, with people who are willing to say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I got it wrong and we have teachable spirits, and we're willing to listen to one another, care for one another, not arrogant, and definitely not unoffendable. Then our church, our church becomes that light, the city on a hill that's so attractive to so many, even those who wouldn't dare set foot inside a steeple, a church, and it will be the kind of church we want to invite all of our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and anyone to see because we're a church of grace and mercy and we can model the humility of God in the heart of Jesus. You know, in the last part of our message, I want to share a story that Jesus told. It's a parable about two people, a tax collector and a Pharisee. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Now, a little background on these characters. You know, back then, um, Pharisees were just awesome leaders, and they were respected because of their strict devotion to God's laws. But tax collectors, on the other hand, they were despised by the Jewish people. They were seen as traitors because they worked for the enemy, the Roman government. And tax collectors often took advantage of their own people. So they were hated. Now in the story, these two guys go into the temple to pray to God. 
And you can just kind of imagine the Pharisee noticing the other guy, the tax collector, standing off to the side. Let's listen to this passage. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And at this moment, Jesus tells his disciples and everyone listening to the story, I tell you, the man, that tax collector, went to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humble, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now in the story, you think that it would be the Pharisee, right? The one who would get all the praise. But it's actually the tax collector. He is justified, made righteous in the eyes of God. The difference, it's in their hearts, their attitude toward God and one another. You see, the Pharisee is absorbed mainly with himself, not God. He starts by putting himself above others. He says, thank you that I'm not like those other guys, those sin that sinful tax collector. And it's not really a prayer to God. It's Kind of like the self-pat, like he's, you know, patting his own back and he's putting himself up by putting down other people. He's filled with pride and self-righteousness. It's all about himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, he turns towards God in humility. He's crying out, God, be merciful. Have mercy on me. He's just beating his chest and he's asking for forgiveness. He knows he needs God. He's open. And he's humble. And Jesus says, that man, that man is justified. He has the right heart. And you know, if I had to choose, I want to be more like the tax collector and not the Pharisee. I want to be honest and humble. And I want to be able to say, God, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. And in all of my weakness, with all my faults, I want you in my life. And if these two guys in the story, you know, the tax collector and the Pharisee, if they were in my church, I would want to introduce people to the tax collector. If I was bringing a friend, let's say to church for the first time, and I wanted to introduce them to one of these two guys, it would be the tax collector, the one who's humble and honest and open. Our church has a popular saying, First Prez is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. We want to be real about our weaknesses and our struggles and know that real healing and restoration and peace, they come from Jesus. And I think the tax collector would know this and he would just welcome everyone and he would love people to Jesus. Today we learned about the core value of humility and what it means to be a community of people, to be the church, people who are humble and honest and open about our need for God. It was through the death of Jesus on the cross where Jesus took all of our sins and bore it upon himself that he was able to make a path for us 
to live in freedom, to release the weight of our egos and our insecurities and, and be in love and love others as God loves them and love God. We want to be a church known for humility. We want to be that city on a hill, that light that shines, drawing people closer to God. Can we be that church? Can we be a church that's unoffendable? Can we be that church that practices humility? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and teaching us about humility and what it means to be a church that's marked by humility. And Lord, we confess that sometimes we're not so humble, that we can get self-righteous and the world would just revolve around us and we can get obsessed with our own thoughts. But Lord, we want to look towards you and Lord, we want to ask you for guidance. We ask for your grace and your mercy. Forgive us of our sins. Draw us closer to you. Help us to love others as you love them. And Lord, maybe there's some of us here who are listening right now. And you know, that, that sounds really good. If that church, if that community is really about loving others, with a humble and open heart. Wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you, I just invite you right now to bow your heads and say this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer of sorry, please, and thank you. Lord, I'm sorry for all the ways that I've rejected you and turned away from you, for my pride and the need to be right and be obsessed with my own world. And Lord, I just want to lay it down. I want to lay it down and put it before you. I give it to you. And Jesus, will you come into my heart, come into my life? Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin so I can live in freedom freedom from pride. And Lord, I just ask that you may show me how I can live in love and be a part of this community with others. Help me to grow closer to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, bless you. And you can press that um, Say Yes to Jesus, Yes, I Commit My Life to Christ button because at that moment you can pray with a prayer team member or staff member. It's really good when we accept Jesus, when we commit our lives to Jesus or we recommit our lives to Jesus to pray with someone. And we would love to kind of show you some next steps and draw you more and more into this church community. So make sure you pray uh, with someone today. And now, Let's just continue to reflect on the humility of Jesus and how we want to really follow him and build our lives on Jesus. And now please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may you always know the deep love of Christ in your heart. 
in your life as you follow him all the days of your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you want to share some thoughts with others after the service or ask some questions, we have something called Digital Connect Groups. So make sure that you click on that button and join a Zoom room after the service. God bless you and have a wonderful Sunday. Pride puts the focus on ourselves and people see us. Humility allows people to see Jesus in our lives. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, normally we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at the Vine in Kaka'ako. But during this COVID season, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church's websites, fpchawaii.org or thevinehonolulu.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30 and 11.11 for First Pres, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, and daily devotionals. And if you have any questions or any needs, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.